0: Hello, this is Sally McNally, the Irish midwife, and uh, welcome back to The Bleeding Truth. And this is Bridget, Sally's daughter.
1: So today we're getting into more of Sally's crazy stories. And I want to know, Sally, how did you end up spending time in Saudi Arabia as a midwife?
0: Well, I had, uh, do you remember from last week's podcast, um, I had uh, wanted to go to Ethiopia, but the nun in our group got that visa. But I had uh, developed a a kind of a feeling like I wanted to go, I wanted to do something somewhere else. Um, So I um, I contacted this uh, nursing agency, their travel nursing agency, and uh, the first place they sent me was Saudi Arabia. And, And so they sent me to Jeddah, in Saudi Arabia and I delivered babies there uh, for the Saudi military it was a, a military hospital and I was a very very busy midwife wow
1: and how did your how did your family feel about you going that far from dublin
0: i think they were terrified of course they were like why there of all places um and I guess they were uh, supportive because they knew I wanted to deliver as many babies as possible. And I had the traveling bug and there was no stopping me. I had to I had to do it. And it was very interesting. It was such a wonderful experience. And I'm so happy Mm -hmm. that I have um, that memory, you know, of Saudi in my life. How long did you end up going there for? Well, every year they would... uh, you know my contract would be up and i would say i'm going home i'm going home but of course i'd renew my contract and i ended up staying for 5 wow. years yeah it was it was really interesting um it was also very scary at times and terrifying even um i saw some things that i wish i could forget um, and I made some friends that I still love to this day. You know, I uh, I met some fabulous people over there in Saudi Arabia.
1: Wow. Where did you where did you live when you were there?
0: Well, we were the group that uh, I was with. Of course, I was with a bunch of international nurses and midwives and um we had to stay on a a western compound where it was walled in it was like a little village um and uh, some of us would li- live in apartments and some others would live in houses uh, the married people would live in houses and stuff um and it was really nice to have swimming pools there and oh, wow. um, armed armed guards on the gate oh jesus um, <laughs> And they even had a little shop and stuff. And if you wanted to go out of that little compound, you'd have to go in a group. Um, A a single woman couldn't be out on her own. She should be with another married couple or with a group of people. Um, And then also you couldn't drive because you were a woman. Um, So... Um they would you know maybe organize a little uh, bus or a van to bring a few of us into town and sometimes um, there was a car that you could hire uh, it was kind of like a little taxi or uber, uber. Nowadays. <laughs> kind of like an uber thing yeah and uh, they would come and they were like trusted like ones that could look after us and they would bring us to where we were going wow. and they'd wait and bring you back
1: That sounds really restrictive.
0: (laughs) It was very restrictive. But you know what? It was really fun too. We had, um, there was different compounds, right? Um, And some compounds, your friends or your boyfriends or your, you know, uh, friend would be living in a different compound. And sometimes there might be uh, parties in a different compound. And you couldn't like go as a bunch of girls through the gate with the armed guards and be like checking your IDs and stuff, you couldn't just do that <laughs> to go to a party. So, honestly, we found our way around these rules. Um, I often went to a party in the trunk of the car, oh my gosh, hiding, yes, and <laughs> we'd be all dressed up in our finery and uh, we'd step out of the boot of the car, um, in our black. Habaya, it was a black Habaya, it was like a big long black cloak and we'd take the black cloak off and walk into the party and it was it was a lot of fun. There wasn't any, anything like a nightclub or cinemas that you could go to. So the Westerners, we kind of had to make our own fun, including our own um, booze and stuff like that. There was no alcohol to be bought in the country um, and if you wanted to uh, drink alcohol... You know, you have to make it. Or <laughs> oh, buy it. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. So, you ha- you have to wear um, the more traditional clothing there, right? But if you're going to like a party organized by, you know, your fellow Westerners, uh, do you still have to stay in your your clothing, or did you say that you would, you'd be able to take off your your cloaks and stuff?
0: Yeah, once we were inside those little walled compounds, we could kind of like be normal. Okay. Um, Yeah, so we'd wear like mini skirts or shorts or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But once you came out of there, you couldn't be showing skin. Oh no. We had to wear scarves on our heads and a long uh, black type cloak or coat that covered your whole body. It was like a big black bag. And... um, it was uh, mm-hmm. it was very very strict, um, and uh, if if you were showing skin, there you would be followed by the religious police, and they were actually religious police over there. Oh wow! And uh, they were usually led by a, um, a guy called a Matawa, and he was the you know the the priest, mm-hmm. and um, it was very strict. So I I know I I know of a few stories where. Um, There was one lady and she was uh, showing her her skin, her legs and uh, uh, Matawa came and he started beating her legs with a uh, big stick. And her husband came to rescue her and he pushed the Matawa and um, the Matawa fell down. And I guess he hit his head, um, and he was injured. Mm-hmm. But they took the husband off to jail. Oh wow! Yeah, it was a big deal. Oh, it smokes. Yeah, yeah. but um, but there's reasons because you know, um, I it may be a little different. The rules might be a bit more relaxed now, but at that time it was so strict. Um, I remember we went into one shop, a bunch of us, you know, a bunch mm-hmm. of young nurses, midwives, and we had our Habayas on, but it was a very busy shop and it was all of a sudden it was full of people and we were all getting on squashed Ooh. and it felt really uncomfortable. And one one of the girls was like, No, no, I could hear her shouting, no, no. And um she was like, Get out of here quick and we, we all rushed out to the out outside um and we looked at the back of her Habaya and there was sperm all over it somebody had oh yeah oh i know geez. i apologize Jeez. i know that's. i did not expect good.
1: that oh my god
0: because men and women cannot mix together wow. you know they unless they're married um there's no like regular socializing Ooh. and i'm sorry if there's people listening you know, who are from Saudi Arabia. I know you're not all like that, of course. And this is uh, just my yeah. my experience and my bleeding truth. So please don't get offended if you're listening and you're from Saudi. I, wow. I have lots of great friends there and I totally respect the country too. That's it's wild. just rules. There's certain rules mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we we were taught that was the first thing going to saudi do not break the rules how old were you when you went ah oh, let's see what age i must have been coming up on my uh, 30 i remember turning 30 um oh yeah that was a thing um <laughs> there was more more uh, men over there than women in, in the in the western um parts mm-hmm. where we in our little compounds Um, And I remember my 30th birthday party. Um, It was me celebrating with like about 12 men. (laughs) And they were so sweet, trying to like uh, make a little party for me. Um, And I was hoping a few of the nurses would come because it was really awkward, just me there. Oh, gosh. But... uh, (laughs) The Nurses, they went to something different. I they didn't know that I was like gonna have a party. But anyway, that was my thirtieth birthday party. Holy crap. 12, Twelve awkward men and me, but it was okay. <laughs> and
1: that's actually wild because you had you had me at what age?
0: I was thirty seven when I had you. Thirty
1: six. So that mm. wasn't like that long. You were in Saudi Arabia, not mm. that like. Long before, right. before meeting yes. dad, and yes, yeah, that's kind of what. That's true. Isn't that's it really yeah. Wild. yeah. Okay. Um, so going back to you said, the westerners throwing parties and learning how to make their own alcohol. Is that would would you guys call that moonshine or what? Um, what kind of alcohol?
0: Yeah, it was. Um, it was. We used to call it. Uh, Habibi. No, what was it? Um, Sadiq. That's what we used to call it. It was a code name for it. Sadiq is mm-hmm. friend. <laughs> oh. It was our friend. Um, and uh, one of my friends, he had a, a, a still in the desert where they used to make this a still, um, you know, a still a still is like um, the contraption that would make pure alcohol oh, gosh, okay. and Yes, and this pure alcohol then, he would take it and sell it to different people in the different compounds um, and then they would take it and make, you know, liqueurs and, you know, um, make punch and stuff like that with it. (laughs) And it was really, really strong. I know some people whose eyesight to this day, I'm sure, is no good because it was so strong. Blind, drunk. Now I know why... They called it blind drunk. But anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) sometimes we'd try our hand at making wine. Mm -hmm. You know, we'd get fruit juice and sugar and yeast and stuff. And uh, if you didn't get the mix just right, it would get like too strong and explode the bottle. (gasps) I had a wee cat. In, I had a wee cat and she was in my apartment, had all these bottles of wine oh, made. Geez. And I guess it got too hot or something, but I came home and like a big bunch of them had exploded and the poor cat, her eyes were huge, like, what the oh hell? Oh my God, was the cat okay? <laughs> the poor girl. <laughs> and then we had like big barrels um, where we'd make beer, mm-hmm. so it I mean I was no good at it but we'd have contests to see who had made the the worst I think it was contest for the worst wine wow but we needed to make our own fun over there Bridget it was like uh, not that I'm a drinker at all now I don't drink at all now um I always say I've had enough and you can see why (laughs) What would happen if
1: you got caught with that or making it? Was that a problem?
0: You would go to jail. Yeah, you would go to jail. Mm -hmm. One of our friends uh, went missing. He was um, put in jail for uh, bringing whiskey into the country illegally. He brought like a few cases of it in and um, they caught him and they put him in jail. And uh, when they found him, um his friends, when they found him uh they had um uh, beaten his feet so badly that he couldn't walk for a while jeez that was geez. that was one of the punishments. actually, one of my friends uh went to jail over there. Can I tell you that story really yeah, quick yeah um i am I getting off no topic you're anymore? doing
1: you're doing great this is wild. <laughs>
0: Um I had this friend, Tara, I remember her name. I don't know if I'm allowed to use people's names. She was an uh, she came from England and she was West Indian and English. Um, and she was such a darling girl. I loved her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was a great midwife. Um, but lo and behold, didn't she fall in love with a Saudi man? And this was a big no, no, huge, big no, no. And uh, we were all like warning her, don't go, don't do it, don't do this, don't do that. And she was like, I love him. And he was a wee bit younger than her. But anyway, they were having this wild affair, you know, she couldn't help herself. She loved him. And they got caught. They got caught by the religious police. Oh, wow. And the first thing we knew about it was she was missing from work. And so we started calling all the hospitals in the area to see if she was there. Couldn't find her in the apartment building. And then somebody said, maybe they caught them together. Maybe she's in jail. Oh, wow. So um, I went to the local jail where they would have put Westerners, right? Um and I brought with me some food and some clothes because they don't like give you like regular food. Your friends and relatives have to throw food over the wall oh, wow. to you. Yeah, they, yeah, that's the way it was when I was there. This is my bleeding truth. I don't know. Hopefully it's better now. But um, so I, I went and I remember uh, walking in. <clears throat> it was terrible, sad. Um, and uh, they they met me at the door and i wore my um uh, hospital uniform uh, because on the, the arm it had uh, that it was the saudi military hospital and i thought well that'll show them that i'm you know on you know a good side of things that i wasn't mm-hmm. just anybody that i actually worked yeah. for the country But they just took the bag of food off me and the clothes. And I said, can I? And they were like, no, they took it off me. And they said, go down there in Arabic, walk down there. So I walked down this pathway and it was like there was like a little moat between the pathway and these cages on both sides of me. Right. So there was like big, huge cages. And in each cage was about 20, 30 women. And they were all shouting and crying out in different um, uh, languages. Uh, I could hear like Filipino, Tikalo. I could hear um, some Western voices. I could hear uh, African voices. It was like a nightmare. And there was like about six gauges um, in this area. And... I, I just was walking down shouting, Tara, Tara, are you there, Tara? And uh, I can remember seeing the little fingers coming through the cages and it was really thick, wiry stuff and it was really hard to see their faces. And and then I could hear her little voice saying, Sally, Sally, get me out of here, get me out of here. And um, I, I stood there and I couldn't reach to touch her. Um, and she said, Please help me, please help me and And she said, "Look what they did to me, and she turned around, she pulled her dress down, she showed me her back, and I can still see it to this day. Her back was black and blue, oh. where they had given her um they'd given her fifty lashes because she was, of course, breaking the law, right? And and that was the last I saw of Tara. That was the last I saw of her. There was nothing I could do. I was begging and pleading with the people in the hospital and even Western people that I went to who were in charge of us, they just shook their head back and forth. There's nothing we can do. That's the rules, you know. Um, But I heard from... Uh, people who knew her that she was shipped back to. Oh, they had um, they had shaved her head as well, yeah. And his head—that's what we he, heard. Was he, he also had...
1: in jail, or was it just her?
0: The two of them were put in jail. Dang. Yeah, and she was um, shipped back to England, and they stamped. You know, in Arabic, they put a stamp on her passport that that uh, translated as prostitute. <sighs> What? Yeah, and she went from the airport to a psychiatric hospital.
1: Wow, yeah.
0: that was Jeez. that was the last I heard. And if you ever hear this, Tara, I want you to know I often thought about you, Carol Send me love. Wow, mom. Yeah, it's a tough world out there. And how
1: long were you still there in Saudi Arabia after that?
0: Oh, that was probably I was probably there more f- four years after that. I tell you, the longer I stayed, the better I got at it. You getting around the rules and, you know, helping the patients. It was all about the patience really for us because we you know, all we had was just a little bit of restriction, you know, having to cover up and move in groups. And they paid us really well. You know, they paid us tax free. So the money was great. They paid for your airfare. They paid for your food. They paid for your apartment. You know, there wasn't. So we had this great chance that we could make, you know, some money. But the patients, their lives were so hard. I remember, you know, walking through the wards sometimes, and yeah, they they would like have big wards with a few women in a big area, and they wouldn't be talking to each other. The women were like quiet. They'd be just, you know, covered up in in the habaya and the yashmaks, and and just a breast maybe sticking out with the baby on the breast, and it was just like so. They, So subdued, you know, like here in the hospital, there's like laughter and music and women can have birth plans and um, it's just so wonderful. And here, here in America, where I work, the women are the luckiest women in the world that they they can have such a beautiful birth if they want. You know, they can they can plan it and, you know, they can have the people that they want there. And it's just so wonderful. Um, over there, it, you know, there was some really great people who uh, I learned so much from, you know, the, mm-hmm. the work that went on in the labour. But sometimes the women would come in and their health wasn't so good to begin with. You know, they may have had like... 10 babies already and now here they are on their 11th baby and their haemoglobin is down Whoa. like 5 or 6 to start out. Yeah. And if they have any little bit of a bleed during the delivery then they're like in real trouble. Yeah, so it was... And some of those women were coming from the desert, you know, coming in to have their baby in the hospital, coming from a, a desert, like living in a tent Like basically. far away
1: from the hospital too. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I have a lot of memories about the patients. They were so that you just wanted to help them so much. And there was so much to do that sometimes your your time to clock out from your shift would come and go. And you wouldn't even think of it because it was like so much to do. You know, you might Mm -hmm. put in like an 18 hour day. If it was a short staff. And I often had days where I'd deliver like eight or nine babies in that one shift.
1: Wow. Just yeah. Just as a midwife. Like as on just your own or with a was it a big staff well, as well
0: or Yeah, there was a big staff. It was like run by um Western midwives, you know. Um, and so mostly it was British and Irish. Mm-hmm. And a, a few uh, from different parts of Europe. Uh, we had uh, some Filipino nurses <laughs> with us and um, we, we had like a various group.
1: How come there was so many out of country um, nurses and midwives and staff even? Was it because of the education in Saudi Arabia?
0: Yeah, it might have been that. Yeah, they didn't really let the women work over there and then there was the problem that they the men don't want uh, another man to touch their wife yeah so So over there the men can have four wives you know so it's a man's world um but uh, so they would want uh, women, so a midwife was a really happy medium, of course. So they'd stock up on midwives mm-hmm. to come and deliver the the babies. Wow, yeah, I remember uh, this patient. Um, well, I came on duty, and our, like our job as midwives, we would look after the, like just like here, the low risk uh, women. Uh, For the most part, our patients would be as low risk as possible. Like, say, if you delivered a woman and she had a first or second degree laceration, we could do that. We could suture our own episiotomies. But if it was like a third or fourth degree laceration, you would call in one of the obstetricians to help. Uh, fix that but I came on duty this morning there was a big fuss in the hallway and men were shouting at each other and it was an obstetrician and a father um, who had just had a baby and um, she had a fourth degree laceration and the uh, Yeah, I know, it was bad. The doctor grabbed me and he said, the other midwife won't do it and uh, you have to go in there. She's bleeding. You have to go in and help that woman. He won't let me go in and help his wife. So I said, I've never sutured a fourth degree laceration. And he said, just leave the door open and I'll talk you through it. I often wondered how that poor woman, how her bowels were, I hope. I hope it all went well. I did my best. But we did it that way. That was yeah. what we had to do because he was shouting there was no way and the, the the doctor was saying your wife will die if you leave her like that and he said then she will die. Then she will die. Oh
1: wow. Yeah. It was like that. That must have been so traumatic for those women.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Poor women.
1: Um appreciative of getting to grow up where
0: I did. Yes, you should. It's a great place here, isn't it? You can, you know, you can be free as well. Being a woman here, you can be free. You can own a house. You can walk down the street and not be, you know, hassled. You can call the police and say that man is is abusing me or hassling me or whatever. Um, I remember when I went over there, you know, before I was, you know, streetwise, I had to learn the hard way. Um, But I I remember walking. uh, It was just a short area outside the compound. I thought I'll just walk to that market because it had some vegetables or something that I wanted to try And I was thinking, sure, what harm is it to just a a wee walk outside? I'll be fine. I'll come right back. And I dressed in my habaya and my scarf. And off I went, dee, 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 down the road. And the next thing, it was like he appeared out of nowhere. There was a man driving a a really beautiful Mercedes. And um, he was like whistling out the window. And he had a big fistful of money. Out the the window. Because I guess women just don't walk on the street on their own like that, right? But he presumed he could just, you know, buy me. Maybe he presumed I was a prostitute. Because you Um, were on
1: your own, maybe?
0: I was terrified, yeah. Um, And uh, he was, like, coming up really close at the car and he was, like... I'm sure he was saying some really horrible things to me. And he was, like... Like, look at the money, look at the money, don't you want the money? And I picked up a big rock and I got close to the car and I just scraped the side of his car and then he drove away really fast. Oh, he learned his lesson, hopefully. Probably not. Him and his lovely Mercedes. Dang. Yeah. But I mean, that was minor to some of the things later that I witnessed and experienced.
1: Well, thank you for for introducing us to this this era of your life in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> uh, yes. I swear about most of the things you just covered, I've never even heard. So <laughs> I'm sure if you're implying there's more stories, there's going to be some really exciting and hopefully, you know, not too terrible stories to, to come. Yeah. Probably some sad yeah. ones and some really good ones as well.
0: Oh, yes. Lots of good ones. I had a great time. Yes. My life has been um, really fun up to this. I feel really lucky. You're the best part. (laughs) Love. (laughs) Love. (laughs) Well, thanks a million for listening to The the Bleeding Truth and um, hope you'll come back again for more.
1: (laughs) Yes, thanks a million. Make sure to like and subscribe for more of Sally McNally's Irish midwife content. And we'll see you in the next one.